Hey everybody, we are super pleased to announce our new sponsor, Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. The goal? Power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. And the best part? Marvel Strike Force just reached its six-year anniversary, which means free stuff when you sign up via our unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. Just complete each event, and you'll receive special awards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and every week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. If we have received a unique promo code for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL, M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Again, anybody uses that code, it is unique for all new users. Check it out. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Gamers Anonymous, the podcast of board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. And this is episode 380, Academia Theme Games. We'd like to thank all of our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode. Well, we're back and we've missed you because it's been a little bit and we wanted to get back and talk to you about one of the areas of interest that Anthony and I have, which is academia. You may not have known that, but turns out Anthony and I work in academia. <laughs> <laughs> it might have come up. Um, yeah, yeah, no, it's 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 good. I, I teach, you, you've worked in academia for far longer than I have. Um, yes. And so it's, we, we thought this would be a great episode and it actually took a little bit of time to find games that, are good and representative of the field uh, and that we've played. So if you're out there looking for a new theme for your board game, (laughs) school, man, apparently there aren't that many games about school. Yeah. It really is surprising because you would think education, higher education, especially since so many designers out there are from higher ed you know, whether they have masters or doctorates or whatever kind of crazy degrees that they have. And yet at the same time, very few board games out there about schooling, going to school, taking tests, classes, all that kind of fun stuff. But we have, you know, gone through them all, scraped through all the research and put together a top 10 list of games about academia. So we'll talk to you in a minute about all that kind of fun stuff on our future review. But before we get into all the smarty pants stuff, Anthony, have you been watching anything out there in the world? Not so smarty pants, but a lot of fun. (laughs) 
top of the yeah, obviously the first thing up that everybody watched is Stranger Things, and the second half of that season was four hours long, which is my review of that show. It's fun, but oh my gosh, it's too long. <laughs> <laughs> you got to fill the season, buddy. You got to you got to fill you got to fill the queue with all the episodes. It's so ridiculous. Like, okay, how long was part one? Right, it's probably ten episodes, maybe seven or eight hours. I don't know. I'm not looking at it. Part four was nine episodes, and I'm pretty sure every episode was at least an hour and 15 minutes. It's probably like 14, 15 hours total. Why? Why is it so long? You got to fill in all the Kate Bush Bush music in there. That's true. I do love that song. I'd never heard that song before. I do love that song. It's a good song. <laughs> it's a very good song. Yeah, so that, yeah, Stranger Things season one was nice and tight and fun and just really kind of blew everybody away. Season two was okay. Not a not a bad season. Okay, kind of stuff. You know, really hard coming back from what seemed to be a self-contained one-shot story with a really cool kind of twist ending. And then season three was also good, bringing in some new characters, new twists, a little more sinister and now we're on season four, which I kind of binged as much as possible. I think, I'm not sure if I watched the f- whole first half in one sitting, but at least a large chunk of it. And then the second half, I did sit all at one shot. So I don't think they needed to break that up. I understand why, because this whole idea of the binge system seems to be going away a little bit. They want to yeah. have a little bit of a breather for social media. I prefer the binge. I, I think you're not a binge person, Anthony, are you? I am when I'm sick, but no, I'm not in general. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want, I, I want, I like to have the whole series up front, and in, and and in fact, a lot of other series, which we'll we'll just mention really quickly, they don't do that, and I get it, and I understand. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying I need to watch something. So yeah, season four was great. Uh, they do a lot of different things. Again, I don't want to give spoilers because I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who haven't had an opportunity to binge it yet. But great Kate Bush song, great series, great characters and things of that nature. Definitely could have been shorter, tighter, cleaner, you know, a little bit better on the writing side. But they really put it, they threw everything they had at it. And some really some really good performances in there too. So if you haven't yeah. seen Stranger Things... You should definitely check that out. I think that's a, a recommendation from both of us, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it's impressive. Um, it's one of those things, like, as a writer, especially as a writing instructor, I'm, like, watching it. I'm like, you could cut that. You could have cut that. <laughs> that's redundant to that. I don't know why. We don't need to see this because we already knew this because you told us yeah. this before. But that doesn't take anything away from, like, it was still a compelling story. I still watched all of it. <laughs> like, sure. I still watched those 15 hours. Um, it was very good. It was fun to watch. And, you know, longer, shorter, whatever. It's just... Gotcha. I think the Duffer brothers have reached that point where nobody's editing their work anymore, which, you know, is a good point to be at, I think. Yeah, I, I think so. And, and I think it, they they do something which I'm surprised, especially for family-based entertainment, is that they actually do kill off characters. Yeah. Which I'm pretty surprised that they're still doing that, considering the marketability of some of the characters out there. But I appreciate that. I think um, that's that's not too bad of them. Yeah. So, yeah. So check it out if you haven't checked out season four. I think it's it's, it's definitely a good watch. 
But something that's not binge-worthy because it's it's a weekly series would probably be the opposite, would be The Boys, Anthony. Yeah, The Boys. Um, way more violent, not family-friendly at all. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> and they do kill off a lot of people. On yeah, that. they do. Left, right, and sideways. The opening scene of that whole show is somebody exploding, right? <laughs> so. Yeah. If you've ever read the comic, this is actually, and I think most people agree, this is much better than the comic. This is, Mm -hmm. they take a lot of the theming and ideas and characters, of course, from the original comic, but they've certainly taken it in a different direction. It's less about the power corrupts completely kind of situation and more about media and fame and fortune and questions about family and what a family's like and found family and things of that nature kind of comes into play. So I think initially it was more about the spectacle and it still is. I mean, it's still very much in that kind of, you know, genre of just like action explosions, fan service kind of stuff like that. But I think, I think the character performances again here are also very good. Uh, Carl Urban is just, as always, he's amazing. He just he just melts into every character that he plays. And there's a lot of other good performances here as well. Not just Carl Urban, but just throughout. I think it's a very good series. This season was going back to the old ways of doing it, which was kind of bummed out about. But then took a hard left and is doing something different. At least somewhat different for the boys. I think the final ending is going to be somewhat of the same kind of punch, punch, kick, kick kind of stuff. But they actually have had a lot of their moments. So if the if you can get through the kind of like crazy graphical kind of stuff, which it is really a thing this season, they actually had a an episode called Herogasm. Uh, not as bad as it was in the comics, but I think this is something that's certainly worth watching. I think, it, you know, there's a good time to be had in it. Yeah, I, I saw the first two seasons. I'm definitely going to watch this at some point. I um, haven't gotten there yet. Absolutely. And I think, Anthony, finally, that the other series that you've been on our watch list for quite some time is uh, Strange New Worlds, the new Star Trek series that's out mm. there where Captain Pike. Yeah, so, yeah, this is great. I, I've i only seen the first two episodes because my wife is a big Star Trek fan and it gives us something to watch that we both enjoy. And it's not, at least early episodes, they're not necessarily... You can watch them in isolation, so it's okay if she falls asleep in the middle of an episode. She can catch up later. We're not like missing part of the story. Um, but I've really, really enjoyed it because we like Star Trek and we've wanted to like Star Trek, but the last few shows produced by Paramount have been not very good. Did not love <laughs> Discovery, kind of gave up on it in season three. Did not like Picard at all. Um, Lower Decks is great, but that's not the same thing. It's not an hour-long Star Trek live action. So this has been really fun. One one person said to me that season four of Discovery was good, and and I'm having a hard time believing it because I dragged myself through the first three seasons there. And I'm a huge Star Trek fan, and I'm really open to all the different ways and places that they want to take it, but it was a really hard grind for those three seasons. So I've been off of that for season four. Lower Decks has been... Other than the first episode, the first episode was like they were trying way too hard on that first episode. If, if you watch just the first episode, give it another chance. Go go another couple of episodes deep into that. 
that first episode's not representative of like the rest of the season. They do slow down. They do have fun with it. It's a very smart series. The second season's even better than the first. A lot of fun stuff if you're a Star Trek fan. I'm a huge Star Trek fan, and I love all the references. And it's not just fan service. It's actually it's pretty it's pretty good. So I'm really happy to have that. I think the next season's coming up pretty soon. And Strange New Worlds, again, I was apprehensive about this because they have so many canon characters here that we know what happens to them. So it takes away all that kind of like, will they or won't they die? Or are they really in danger? And you know that they're not. But the first season just wrapped up. I watched the whole season. They do break canon a couple of times, which is not so great. But overall, it's a very good season. It's a high recommendation for me for the new Star Trek. This is this is really what feels like Star Trek for me in so many different ways. And I think they do a great job with it. So if you're a Star Trek fan and you, you know, hated Discovery, which same here, hated Picard, same here, which breaks my heart. This is still something you should come back to. And like I said, give Lower Decks another try. I think it's I think it's a really great series. So a lot of fun stuff out there. So yeah, check out, you know, all the good stuff. Again, there's a bunch of Marvel movies coming out soon. Thor, Love and Thunder will be hitting theaters probably by the time you hear this or or sooner. So, you know, check out, have some fun with all those fun IPs out there because I know eventually they'll all be board games if they're not already. I think Stranger Things has probably half a dozen board games coming out <laughs> right <laughs> within the next five days. Yeah, probably. So. <laughs> all right. Well, it's just some of the things that we're watching out there, but Anthony, let's talk about what's most important. What our listeners are talking about. What's our question of the week? All right. Yeah. So the question of the week this week, and uh, this kind of relates to some recent conversations we've been having uh, specifically uh, last episode, we talked about fantasy flight games and the best of, of those, and many of those are out of print, right? A lot of them are out of print. You can't get them. Um, and almost immediately after that episode, there was an announcement that Keyforge had been picked up by a new publisher that is being run by Christian T. Peterson, who is the original founder of Fantasy Flight and left Fantasy Flight a couple years ago, almost certainly because Asmodee asked him to. So what... I asked everybody, what's an out-of-print game system, collectible card game, miniature game, etc. you'd like to see picked up by a new company and revamped for modern gamers? So something out-of-print. Um, some people, you know, dropped in some board games, but just in general, like game systems that got abandoned. And there's a lot of them because if they're not making money, these game systems are incredibly expensive to produce because you need new content constantly, which means you have to keep people on staff, developers, writers, designers, and you need people to be buying that stuff and playing it, right? You know, for every Warhammer in the world, there's like 10 uh, other companies that just kind of crash and burn. Um, and Fantasy Flight <laughs> is has been that company many times. So, uh, games that people want to see come back. Uh, Callan mentions Warhammer Invasion, uh, which mm. is an interesting one because that's I believe that's the LCG. And Warhammer is very much still around. That license is gone from Fantasy Flight along with everything else. Um, but yeah, a lot, of, a lot of people really enjoyed that and it just kind of unceremoniously died at one point. Um, we Several people mentioned Glory to Rome, which it gets put up at any time I ask this question. Um, <laughs> uh, it, just as an out-of-print game because it's out-of-print forever and ever for whatever yeah. 
reasons. And people keep trying to make versions that are kind of similar or use similar mechanics, and they're not really the same. Even Matai Knight, which is from the same designer, it's not really the same. <laughs> so it really uh, isn't. You, you know, bring back Glory to Rome. Uh, it's never going to happen, but <laughs> bring it back. Uh, some other board games people mentioned that are super out of print. We got Magic Realm, uh, Reef Encounter. Those are kind of two of the ones that get mentioned a lot when we're talking about out of print games. A more recent game that's out of print now, Forbidden Stars. Several people mentioned. I have Forbidden Stars. It's amazing. And there's no reason Fantasy Flight couldn't bring it back in a different version if they wanted to, but they don't want to because that's not the kind of game they make anymore. Um, But this is the Warhammer 40k version of StarCraft, the board game. So it's already been reiterated a couple times. It's quite good. Uh, It's unfortunate that they're not going to do anything with it. Um, Aaron mentions HeroScape. A couple people mentioned HeroScape, uh, which I'm still surprised nobody's managed to find a way to bring that back. It seemed like it'd be a money printer at this point. Weapons and Warriors, Cleorama, Tower of the Wizard King. And I'm not actually familiar with any of these, but uh, they they all sound interesting. Um, Andrew mentions Circus Maximus, and Luke mentions Arena Maximus as kind of Fantasy Flight's revamp of that. Um, Timothy mentions the Guardians collectible card game, which looks like it kind of came out in that late 90s, early 2000s glut of collectible card games. Uh, Matt mentions Mutant Chronicles. Uh, Siege of the Citadel, which is an old, old uh, game system. Uh, it's been gone for a while now. Uh, and Martin mentions the Shadowrun collectible card game, which Shadowrun anything is fantastic, and that stuff tends to not last around for very long. It goes away quickly. Um, yeah, there's a lot of stuff. For me, I would love to see, honestly, any of the various Star Wars collectible card or dice games come back. There's been a bunch of them that have died over the years. Um, I was really big into the Decipher game back in middle school, high school. That game's been dead for a long time. <laughs> With fan support, I think it stuck around for a while. Uh, Star Wars Destiny died, I want to say, three or four years ago now. And Fantasy Flight's certainly not bringing that back. Cost of production's very high. Um, sure. Some collectible Star Wars something. I would love that. I, that's like one of the games that got me started just in hobby stuff in general was tracking down old decipher CCG cards. Uh, and give me something to, to hunt down. That's what I want. <laughs> you want more of those, uh, mystery boxes, blind card packs kind of thing. You want to, you, you want to gamble is what you're saying. You yeah. Yeah. I want to gamble. <laughs> and then when I don't get anything good, I still have a star Wars thing. That'd be cool. That's true. That's that's not that's not necessarily wrong. I think that's 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 right on the ball. I guess the only I mean we we've, we've talked about this. I mean for so many years at all the different things. <laughs> I, I guess one of the things we didn't mention, which we probably mentioned previously, of the new series that's come out there. Obviously, Marvel and Star Wars. I mean, Disney is like pumping or kicking that horse until it dies. Uh, <laughs> the Mandalorian. Like yeah. why isn't why isn't there Mandalorian stuff out there? Like. It just doesn't make any sense. I understand that like Fantasy Flight was, you know, part of or one of or the people that was holding on to the IP there, but like I'm kind of shocked at this. I'm I'm shocked that there was not a CCG or some miniatures game or a board game. I mean, you're doing 
You're doing the Bounty Hunters. That's still happening. The Outer Rim game is still happening. But why is there not something specifically for the Mandalorian that's not some kids kind of knockoff, throwaway kind of thing? I just don't. That's right. kind of surprising to me because that series, more than anything else from Star Wars in a long time, seems to have the, mo- the most promise. You know, they kind of rushed season two a little bit. I mean, but otherwise, I mean, just, you know, whole cloth. I mean, I think that's been the best series. Oh, yeah. Them, and I haven't seen anything. So if they would have thrown something out like that, yeah, I would have bought all the things. Yeah. Yeah. So. I, th- I think if that oh. show had come out five years earlier, there would have been a ton of stuff. But Fantasy Flight Weird. in its current iteration is not making anything anymore. So. Yeah. But, you know, like it's what's that term? Like leaving money on the table. Yeah. Th- that's that's what that feels like. Uh, yeah. 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 Yeah, like the, they're just pumping out the last bits of things. Even with Outer Rim, they they could they could throw in an oh, an expansion or some sort of like spiritual sequel to that with just you know tracking down Baby Yoda or something like that, right? Like you know Mandalorian and dealing with all the different you know baddies along the way. So yeah, no, I'm just kind of surprised by all that. So yeah, I think that's the one thing. I mean, to be fair. We are going to get War of the Ring, the card game. Mm. Now, it's not a CCG, but I think War of the Ring is is a IP and a theme and everything else that we never really got enough of. So I'm really excited to see that. I am happy and weirdly, like, like you, Anthony, a little disappointed that there isn't a collectible factor to the game, that it is in a box, which, you know, I love that idea. Right. Because the good side of me is like, hey, that's awesome. I don't have to spend a million dollars tracking down this one rare card. (laughs) Right. That does a thing because I hate that guy. And on the other side of me, I have to admit, there's like the shadow side of me is like, I really want to be that guy. I want to get that kind of rare card, you know, that promo thing or win some organized play event to get that special card. But there's none of that. So. If it's not going to be Star Wars and it doesn't seem at least yet it's going to be Lord of the Rings. I don't know what the next big, you know, reboot collectible game is going to be. I think Keyforge will still continue on, but I feel like it's probably had more than its moment in the sun. So what is the next thing? So maybe one of our listeners out there just mentioned it, or maybe we'll see it at the upcoming Gen Con or PAX Unplugged or Eschenspiel. So a lot of good stuff to take a look at. I guess, again, it depends on the company, right? I mean, I, if Fantasy Flight was in a better position, maybe the Turnoff universe would have gotten to CCG. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think we have to look at the companies and see what they're trying to produce these days because I think that's that's the thing. I mean, there's always something new. So we'll see. All right. So that's what all our listeners are talking about. And, again, if you'd like to join them on all of our social medias, Check out BoardGamersAnonymous.com. It's got everything that you need to know about what we're doing, what we're saying, and where we've been. But again, especially Facebook and Twitter, those conversations are happening all the time. So jump in there and let us know. And then hopefully we can get more of those great board games out there to the table and around the world. All right, Anthony. So that's everything that's happened with everyone out there. Let's talk about the stuff that's happening with you, my friend. Let's talk about your acquisition disorder. All right. So... Uh, this used to be an annual thing where Days of Wonder would tell us their new game, usually in the middle of the summer. And we'd all get very, very excited because it's one of the, used to be one of the best uh, board game publishers out there. And it's been a while 
since this has happened. Um, the last new game they released was in 2019. And then before that, 2018. And everything else since then has been a version of Ticket to Ride or Small World. So expansion <laughs> or miniature box version or whatever. Right. Why have they um, not crossed those over yet, Anthony? Ooh, they should do that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be cool. Um, but this one looks good. And honestly, the last two big releases that they had, uh, which were, I think, the River and Deep Blue, not very good. Mm-hmm. So no. this one, however, looks like it could be very good. It's called Heat mm-hmm. Pedal to the Metal. It's designed mm-hmm. by Asger Harding, Granarud, and Daniel Skjold Peterson. And the reason it looks so exciting is that uh, Granarud, uh, both these guys work together. They're a design duo, but they've worked on Flum Rouge, um, which is generally considered one of the best racing games out there, right? Yes. From mm-hmm. Specifically, Granarud worked on this. Uh, this is a bicycle racing game in which you have two different racers and you play cards out. You have a limited deck. You play them out and you're trying to win the race. And you build the track. They have all these different expansions with different tracks and different obstacles and weather that comes in and all this good stuff. Um, so this is a car racing game rather than a bicycle racing game. But it seems to have a lot of the similar elements to it, right? So there's a hand management component similar to Flamme Rouge. You have a deck of cards. They're going to determine what you're able to do. There's a uh, course that you're building. Um, there's multiple different available courses that come in the box. You have little plastic cars. Uh, kind of the old school style F1 cars from like the 30s and the 40s. And Vincent de Troyes artwork. Everything that you would want from like a classical, like championship style racing game. And, you know, if it was just that, I'd be like, that looks interesting. I'll check that out. But having the Flamme Rouge background to it at the same time where you're managing car speed, making sure you don't overheat, jockeying for position, kind of weaving in and out dealing with obstacles, weather, whatever might come up. Um, that seems really cool. So I have been disappointed by a lot of car racing games in the last few years that seemed like they could be fun and just really weren't. This system, however, with this pedigree of these two designers, legitimately exciting. I, I think this will be a very good game. And hopefully Days of Wonders next big hit. It's been a while for them. Um I'm honestly surprised they're still making new games. I thought they were done. So I'm really happy about this. Yeah, it seems to me that they've become like Pixar, that once they got bought by Asmodee, Asmodee is like, hey, can you stop doing original revolutionary gateway games and instead of doing kind of very generic, you know, bland kind of family fare? And they did, and it's not been that great. So... I, I think, like you said, Anthony, they, they have the right combination of people, designers, artists, everything here. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to this as well. I think this will be a, a great game and a great addition. I think I think Flamme Rouge got, at least here in the U.S., because it's not that big of a sport here. Mm. I think that kind of like was under the radar the entire time. So this might be an attempt to kind of bring that kind of mechanic, you know, to, to more people's tables. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, and not to rag on Stronghold, but it was a Stronghold game, which means it was sure. expensive and hard to find. Very exp- so, yeah. like, the this $70 game that was often out of print, people were like, okay, I've heard of that or I've seen it, but I'm not going to go out of my way to get it. Um, Days of Wonder games, they print plenty of them. They're easy to find. They do. <laughs> so, 
should be yeah, good. and the prices are usually not that bad either. But I I agree with that. I I don't remember seeing Flamme Rouge at many tables, right. and I think that's the game that really needed to get some exposure out there. They're hard to find, you know, <laughs> stronghold games hard to find, expensive and stuff like that. Um, but yeah. All right. So again, that's everything that's happening and that we want to hit the table. Anthony, let's talk about the things that are hitting the table. And we'll let people know if those games are a buy, a play, a dodge, or the dreaded burn. You should leave it in your smoke. So what do you have out for us this week? All right. Yeah, so I've been getting in some uh, roll and write, flip and write type of games. Um, and the the one I got to play before I got sick a couple of weeks ago was Welcome to the Moon. This is the third in the series of the Welcome to games. So there's Welcome to your dream home welcome to las vegas and now welcome to the moon um the core components and mechanics of the game remain pretty much the same right you have a deck of cards you split it in three you flip over all three cards from the top of those decks you have three options to choose from that consist of a number in an action you write the number somewhere on your personal sheet take the corresponding action and continue right the game continues until you either can't perform actions multiple times in a row. Uh, all the cards have been played or you filled all your spaces in. Right. Um, and that's more or less the same with welcome to the moon. There's not any significant changes or variations from the core um, mechanisms, but what makes this one unique and interesting, um, especially opposed to Las Vegas, which I didn't really enjoy because welcome to Las Vegas it just added things. It's they're like, here's the base mechanic, you know, from the original game. And now here's a bunch of extra stuff layered on top of it. That just makes the game take 20 or 30 minutes longer. And it's a little bit harder to kind of parse and do well at, which you're like, all right, it's not really fun. Um, Welcome to the moon still throws a bunch of new ideas into the box, but it breaks them up over the course of an eight game campaign. So the game comes with a whole bunch of player mats uh, there's, I, I forgot how many are in there, but they're all double-sided and they're laminated, which is very nice. Um, and there's eight different options. So you have the first one in which you're filling up a rocket to take off. You have one where you're building satellites and kind of leaving earth. You have one where you're colonizing various different locations. You're building domes, you're going off to new planets and all sorts of stuff, right? I'm not going to spoil what you're doing in them because there are some com- campaign components. There are some cards that are hidden in the game. Um, it's not a legacy game at all, but you can play through the campaign and stuff gets unlocked and you can go through new materials, which is very cool. But I will say that of the ones I've gone through, each of them does a really interesting job of taking that core mechanic, flip three cards over and figure out where you're going to write those numbers down. Right. And the numbers generally have to go in a certain order and the actions generally correspond to different ways you can score points. It's different in each of the campaigns to some degree. Um, Like, for example, I'll say in the first, uh, I guess, game of the campaign, the actions don't actually do anything. It's it's like a easy mode almost where you're just trying to fill up the rocket. The actions correspond to which row you can place things on. But then there's a bunch of other stuff that you unlock by doing that on the sheet. It's still interesting. Um, So somehow, simultaneously, Welcome to the Moon, it presents a more accessible version of the game. And I say that because I taught 
a, a course in the spring on board games. And I brought Welcome to Your New Home into the classroom. And it was a little much for students. It was hard to wrap their heads around all those different actions. Welcome to the Moon, I would feel comfortable giving them game one of the eight game campaign, filling up that rocket and saying, all right, you're flipping the cards over, you're drawing them in here, and then you do X, Y, Z. It's much simpler and, and it builds on itself, right? So game number two in the campaign takes what you knew about game one, about flipping the cards and matching up to the action spaces, and then adds another wrinkle to it. And then game three adds a few more wrinkles to it and so on and so forth until you get to game eight and there's all sorts of crazy stuff going on. I think this is the best way to do games like this. Um, not only from personal enjoyment perspective where you can just go as far as you want to go and as complex as you want to go, but it's much easier to teach to new people. It's easier to put in front of people and be like, here's how you play this game. All you really need to know to do the first game is this. If you want to keep going, we can add new stuff in, Right. Like even big complex games like Gloomhaven, that's how they do it. And I think that's why they're so successful. You know, uh, some of the most successful games I had in that class were games that do that. Like Quirky Circuits does it really well. Magic Maze does it really well. Welcome to the Moon does it really well. So uh, yeah, I had a lot of fun with this. There is a solo version in the box that changes and adjusts based on which of the eight games you're playing through in the campaign. Um the component quality is really nice. Like I said, it's all laminated. There's little tuck boxes that come in, in, in the box that you can put everything in, including your pens and your cards, um, all the various different types of cards that the game comes with. Cause there are multiple different types of cards here. And you have a campaign book as well as the original rules you can go through, like certain things you have to write down or keep track of. Uh, so if you're a huge fan of welcome to, and you want a lot more variety and different things to do, welcome to the moon has all that. If you want a kind of basic, simple place to start, if you don't own any of the games, but you find them interesting, Welcome to the Moon is not a terrible place to start because you could just play that first game and it's pretty accessible. So uh, this coming from somebody who does like these games when they're done well, Welcome to the Moon is a buy. And then just for reference, Welcome to Vegas for me was a dodge. I didn't like that one very much at all. So if I, I do own Welcome to to your new home and a few expansions. I do now own welcome to the moon. I do not own Vegas anymore. I got rid of that. And mm -hmm. um, there you go. It's, I think one of the better flip and write games out there. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I, I think the original welcome to was good. I own a copy of that. And then the Las Vegas one was just too much. Like yeah. I get it. Like I, I get like when you play welcome to you're like, Oh, that was fun. Is that it? But I think that's the point. You know, it's supposed to be just that. Yeah. And then Vegas was like, hey, how about like four, four or five other mechanics? And you're just like, I really don't want to. <laughs> it's just like, it's a light, quick game. I don't want to, you know, this is not a right. Twilight Imperium or, you know, any Axis and Allies or something like that. And And I was just like, again, it wasn't bad. It was a dodge for me, too. It was just, it wasn't something I would ever pick up again. I, I remember playing right. that at PAX Unplugged, I think before it came out. And then when Welcome to the Moon came out, I was just like, nah, I'm done. Because Vegas just left a bad taste in my mouth. Yeah, but, same. It took me a while to yeah. get this one for that reason. But then it, I think it was on sale somewhere. Um, but but yeah, I th and here's the thing is I think that Welcome to the Moon probably builds up to that. It Like the trajectory that it's on. I haven't played through all eight adventures, but sure. It feels like when you're going to get to the end of that eighth adventure, it's probably 
comparable or even more complex than Welcome to Vegas, but that's fine. If you actually enjoy the, that type of game enough, you're going to get through all eight. If you don't, then stop where you get where it gets to be too much. I think that's great. Like sure. You give people the the agency to decide how much complexity they want in their game, which games that can do that and game systems that can do that, I think are genius. And I want more of those. Yeah, I think, I think that's very much true. And, and I think, again, there a lot of those games, especially the roll and write games are meant to be filler games or solo games or, you know, family games, family weight games. So it's not that you don't welcome the complexity of it, but I think there's a time and place for that. And it's right. not always like you, you don't necessarily want a heavyweight game at that short time period. Or again, the rolling rights, I think almost by default are kind of meant to be kind of like throwing the, throwing your, you know, your, your book bag and take it, you know, take it to school, take it to work, sure. take it to lunch, take it out and just like, let's play it. And there's like, Oh, I don't know how to play this. Like, Oh no, I'll explain it to you. It's very simple. There's like three or four mechanics. Like, Oh no, like it's very simple. There's like 12 to 15 mechanics. You're like, Oh no, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to play that at all. <laughs> so yeah, that's good to hear. All right. So that's everything that's hitting our table this week. We hope to get much more next week for you. So we'll let you know what games are definite buys that you can pick up and the games that are voids at all costs. Now on to our feature review. So for our feature review this week, we are talking about the top 10 academia themed games. The games that are all about education, higher education, libraries, studying, researching, developing, whether it happens to be in a very basic generic kind of world in which we live in, something that's a little more fantasy based or something that's completely bonkers, but for some reason you still have to go to school. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We definitely have a bit of that. Yeah. Imagine like if you did have superpowers or magical powers or any kind of powers and they're like, cool. It's really good that you're like OP right now, but I need you to get to class. And you're just like, huh? <laughs> yeah, but it's magic school. I, I don't know. I, I think, I think a lot of anime out there probably already answers this question broadly, but not a lot of those have uh, games at the table. So Anthony, let's talk about those games and maybe, you know, let, let people know about all the fantastical experiences that they've had in your classroom that is somewhat related to this, huh? Right? Yeah. That's what you guys do? Yeah, that's <laughs> what we do. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I mean, speaking of ridiculous over-the-top powers in a uh, completely unrealistic school setting, we have My Hero Academia plus Ultra board game at number 10. This is a new game from Jasco Games. I don't know if it's necessarily come out yet, but certainly people had a chance to play it, um, in which you are controlling various students in Class 1A. Um, if you know the, the the show at all, you'll be very familiar with all these characters. Um, and it, it's actually very similar to King of Tokyo. You're moving around this map. You're interacting with these different locations. You're rolling dice. And the dice even look like King of Tokyo dice. They've got hearts on them and stars. You're trying to get runs of different stars for points. You've got little fists to deal damage. Um, and you're going to be doing a combination of defeating villains, completing various events, recruiting new allies, going through different encounters to give you points. If somebody gets to 20 points, they win the game. Game is over, right? So 
a lot of similarities with King of Tokyo, but not a bad game to have similarities with. King of Tokyo is a fantastic game. And in this one, you get to play as uh, all your favorite uh, heroes in training. So um, if you are all about schools in which you blow up city blocks instead of take tests, uh-huh. you've got a My Hero yes, Academia. Yes. It's, it's a good school. <laughs> You're saying that like it's not a normal thing. Hey, I don't I don't live in an anime world. Maybe it's normal for some Aww. of you. But... That'd be awesome. Yeah, yeah I, I guess that by the end of this episode, you should pick what school schooling system you want, right? right. What right. is your pet? What is your pedagogy about? Well, it's about superpowers. I'm just saying, <laughs> or maybe it's we maybe we in this... buildings here. It's good. Yeah, that's that's kind of a thing that, that kind of works. All right, so I want to talk about something a little bit more magical. Of course, this is the most magical of all magical schools. This is Harry Potter's Hogwarts Battle. Now, this is the very famous co-op deck-building game that, of course, is all about the Harry Potter universe and the wonderment that you get to bring to the table by playing, at least in the base game, one of the four primary characters, Harry, Ron, Hermione, Neville. Neville is a primary character. I don't care what you say. We love Neville. (laughs) Neville rules. So throughout this game, you'll be going through different missions, different chapters, so to speak, of the different Harry Potter series from the books and the movies. You'll see everything that you know and love. And by defeating the villains and by gaining influence, you'll be able to build a more and more powerful deck. That is, you know, has all the classic iconic spells, magical items, characters, support, hopefully trying to stay well as Voldemort, the one who shall not be named, but I named him anyway, is trying to take you and your friends out. So it this is a really fun game, really simple, straightforward kind of system. It has some really nice expansions that go along with it. And, you know, I, I have to say for a game again we've talked about this before anthony so many of these systems when we talk about like oh there, there's it's an ip and you're like oh no it's an ip but actually in fact this is one of the better games out there this is really a solid addition to you know the harry potter universe it's just not a throwaway yeah it's a fantastic game yeah the only downside i would say of this game is that when you get up to like books five six and seven the game gets very mm-hmm. long like each, yeah. each book you unlock adds about 15 minutes to the game. So you get to that final game and it's about two and a half hours long, which is a bit much for a family. But uh, if you're playing by yourself or if you're playing with other gamers, it's great. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And again, you know, if you're going to pick this up, I highly recommend picking up uh, the Monster Box expansion because there's Luna Lovegood, who's the best of all best. Yeah. So check that one out. <laughs> yeah, it's a good expansion. It's got a lot of good cards in it. Yeah, definitely. All right. uh, Number eight, uh, continuing with my theme of schools where you kick and punch each other instead of learn anything. (laughs) uh, Or I guess you're learning how to kick and punch each other. Um, There you go. Master of Respect from Kentaro Yazawa and Hobby Japan. This is a game in which you are a martial arts master uh, and you're trying to expand your dojo by specifically by giving actions to various students, inviting new students in, training your students, mastering skills with your students. So you are the teacher in this course. Um, Mm -hmm. The game itself has uh, kind of an action cue system. So you're going to give different actions to your students 
on your turn secretly, and they'll be revealed and then they'll execute those actions. People can follow those actions by giving each other respect. Um, but really, you got to manage your various resources in a, I don't want to say programming, it's not quite a programming game, but you really do have to think several turns ahead and yet still be flexible enough to respond when other people take actions that impact you. So it's a very clever, interesting game. It was on Kickstarter a while ago. Um, I'm not sure how easy it is to find these days. I picked it up at a convention back in the day. But uh, Master of Respect, if you if you want to run a dojo, this is a this is a game for you. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. A lot of fun out there. So let's go back into the Euro realms a little bit. Let's talk about uh, Newton. Now, Newton, you probably know because it's that classic game that has that little beautiful green apple on it. And it's all about our friend Isaac Newton here. And this is about the 17th century education and the scientific revolution. So as great scientists and scholars, you are traveling throughout Europe and you're seeking to be the greatest of all time by studying at different universities, visiting new cities, discovering new theories, and of course, gaining all the tools and resources that you need in order to be successful. So this game is very card driven. You actually have multi-use cards that come into play with this game. And the, the cards actually do a, a number of different things, but you're basically setting yourself up for a kind of cascade of actions that will actually help you match up with certain symbols on the board in order to travel, to take resources. And based upon that particular card deck, you'll be able to build up enough resources, build enough enough of the similar symbols in order to gain a scoring strategy so that you can be like an expert, a scholar in one of those particular areas. A lot of ways to score, a lot of movement on the board, whether it is the learning board or it's the travel board of, of Europe. Um, a fun game, a lot of resources to come to play, something that's typically overlooked as far as one of the Euro games out there. But uh, yeah, something to definitely check out there. Uh, that is our friends, uh, Newton from uh, uh, Simone Luciani. So can't beat it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's relatively short too. Like it's not yes. a crazy big, long, heavy Euro. It's uh, very thinky for like a 60 to 90 minute game. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Another one on the list here. And I, I want to say this came out the same year as Newton. Um, Ex Libris. This is from Adam mm-hmm. P. McIver and Renegade Game Studios. Um, this is number six on our list. And in it, you are building a library. Um, specifically, you are a gnome, I believe, because this is a mag- are. magical world. So you're a gnome, right? Um, and the the mayor of the town that you're in has decided they're going to hire a grand librarian. So you are competing with the other gnomes in your village to build the best library and impress um, the official inspector who's going to come look at it. So you're taking these various cards, you're trying to organize them in a certain way, um, meeting various criteria. So the things like shelf stability, the alphabetical order in which you put the books, the variety of the books. And, you know, on its surface, those things don't sound particularly interesting. But the way the game actually plays out, it's it's a spatial puzzle, effectively. You're moving these different meeples around, and you're trying to organize these cards in a way that uh, is the most effective possible so it's a fun game it's very colorful it's creative they did you know they really bought into this kind of more magical approach to it it could have just been a book stacking game which i don't think would have been nearly as much fun as if it was gnomes in this magical village and all this cool stuff that's happening um 
I, again, I think the game's out of print. So, you know, we're, we're hitting on a lot of out of print games here. Um, but <laughs> well worth checking out. If you do see a copy of it somewhere, definitely give it a go. And it's, you know, I don't know how closely it hues to the librarian arts. If you're a librarian out there, let me know. Um, but <laughs> you are stacking books and it is an interesting, uh, unique theme. There's definitely nothing like it out there. Yeah, speaking of games that are rare and unusual, Alchemist. Now, Alchemist was a really interesting game when it came out because it was one of those earlier games that really leaned on and utilized an app in order to play. And that was one of those things that like kind of set it out amongst the rest. And again, this is a fairly understandable game. It's about alchemists who are trying to discover the mystical art of alchemy but in order to do so, in order to get famous for the alchemy, they have to publish these grand theories. Um, some of the, the beauty about this game is it's so colorful and whimsical. And again, the art and the abstract gameplay that comes involved. And of course, the app, right? The app is, is a lot of fun that comes into play. But basically, throughout this game, you are trying to put together the different formulas so that you can publish them. But here's the thing. In order to do so, you have to do it at a certain risk. So throughout the game, and basically this is a worker placement game, there's some bluffing involved, but a lot of deduction. You have to utilize a alchemist chart to know if you're getting closer and closer to the proper chemical formulization to be able to publish that formula. So you're at times you're just going to be making guesses. But throughout the game, you're going to gain ingredients. You're going to transmute those ingredients. You're going to be able to make potions and then test those potions and see if you can actually publish that theory or have that theory debunked. And I hate to say this, but, you know, in this game, you're testing your potions on your students. So sometimes there's good things. Sometimes there's bad things that come into play in this game. It's a very unique educational kind of concept. And somewhat really true of the scientific process. Sometimes it is, you know, a risk kind of scenario. And sometimes scientists in the back in the past used to test themselves on themselves or on their students. Uh, it's a lot of fun. It's an interesting dynamic game. If you like that app integration, this is something that is really fun, especially if you like all those different logic puzzles out there. All right. Yeah, no, this is a fantastic game. And it's it's. It is very unique, and it does have a way to play without the app for all the people out there being like, ugh, app. Sure. It's, it's not easy, but it's, it's in there if you want to do it analog only. Um, all right, number four on the list is Dance Card. This is a game about a high school dance. Um, this was on Kickstarter <laughs> not too long ago, and it, it this is actually a game I did bring into the classroom because it it does a lot of interesting things in terms of representation. Um, it, it's accessible accessibility. And again, thematically it is unique and different. There are no other games about high school dances. Um, so mechanically what you're trying to do is you have a, a dance card name of the game, right? And it'll have different people on it. You're trying to dance with those people also have friends. There's also a rival. Um, you have your own friends and you're trying to manipulate and maneuver the different people around the map. Um, which is a high school dance floor and there's a gymnasium and there's like the janitor's closet and there's like the teacher's lounge. And you're trying to get your, your own character in the right place with the people you're trying to dance with, but without the people who are going to mess with you, like your rivals and the, the crushes of those people you're trying to dance with. And then you roll dice to see if you successfully dance with them or not. Um, 
it's cute. It's clever. It's not particularly complex, but it does a few interesting things. It can be played cooperatively or competitively, and both versions work fine. Um, and it has just the base game has 32 different playable characters. Again, a fairly diverse cast of people. Uh, and then there's an expansion with like another 18. So lots of different ways to play it. And uh, it, it does something that other I have not seen that other games do. So uh, if you're looking for a uh, interesting race game, like you're racing each other to see who can complete their dance card first um, with a fairly family-friendly approach, Dance Card does it all really well. Nice. All right, so let's get into the hardcore games in academia. Of course, Alma Mater. Now, this is, again, from, you know, our friends, the Italian designer, you know, Trio, Quadro <laughs> throughout. Right. Uh, Alma Mater is, is a game about serving as a headmaster at a university in the 15th century. And this is more of your straight up kind of gameplay. This is no magical powers or superhero kind of stuff. This is all about reputation and standing in the academic industry. Uh, in order to be able to be the best after six rounds, um, you're going to need to recruit staff and gain students. You're going to exchange knowledge with other schools in order to become an expert in the school's four disciplines. Now, this is just very much your standard worker placement game. It's a beautifully looking game, really dynamic in its action selection that you'll be taking with your workers. So you'll be um, giving lectures with your professors. You'll be purchasing books that you can use to score points or take the books so that you can use them for resources later. But you'll be able to do things like go on campus. You'll be hiring professors. Um, you'll be able to go to the laboratory. You'll be able to hang out at the park. Obviously, back in the day, this this place was all about the you know some of the religious actions here, say the bishops. And again, a bright, colorful, interactive game, and very much in line with Coimbra that we've we've spoken about previously. A, a lot of the action selection and the graphic design that comes into play here. There's a lot of variety in the game. Different research tracks different asymmetrical possibilities that you can come into play, how you kind of put everything together. It's a really solid game as far as the higher ed political challenging kind of status, but with a lot of fun and some of the best components, you know, as far as board gaming is concerned. I mean, everything's beautiful about this and especially the little tiny books will get you. If you see this game and you see the tiny books, you'll want to pick this up. <laughs> yeah i i can attest to that i've yet to play this and i do own it because of the tiny little books the tiny little books man <laughs> tiny little books all day long uh all right number two on the list is uh just a all-time family classic in my house my kids love this anytime they see it on the shelf they don't always see it on the shelf because the shelves are very full but when they do see it if they happen to be in the office we have to play it which is funny it's almost like they forget it exists um and that's potion <laughs> explosion potion explosion's been around for I can't believe this, but seven years already. Um, wow. This game has been around. Uh, and it, you know, we described it at the time as like a Candy Crush board game, right? You have these mm -hmm. little marbles in a dispenser. You take them out. If they crash together the same color, you have to take those out. And it can create chain reactions where you're pulling all sorts of marbles out of the dispenser. You take those marbles. You place them on these various potions you're trying to complete. Once you complete the potion, you flip it over. You can use the completed potion for one of a variety of different effects that impact yourself and other players 
thematically, you are students in this class learning how to make these potions from a terribly dangerous professor who does not have any sense of decorum or safety. Um, and you get little awards for your work. You're trying to be a student of the year is what you're trying to get um, by doing the best possible work throughout the year. So even the front cover, it is a bunch of students watching this crazy professor blow something up. So uh, Potion Explosion is fantastic, honestly, for all ages. Like, I love this game. My kids love this game. My students love this game. Everybody who's played this. It's a great family game because it has a little bit of everything for everyone. And you can scale it, too. It doesn't need... You don't need to use those potion special abilities if you're playing with younger children. You can just complete potions. Um, And then there's expansions if you want to make it even more complex. So Potion Explosion, fantastic experience, but also a very fun and interesting take on the kind of magical school uh trope yeah i think it's something about magical schools right you can't have right. school unless it's magical <laughs> yeah if you if you want a school to be interesting there better be magic got it <laughs> all right so now our number one school game and of course as anthony just said if it's school it's gotta be magical so yeah. our number one game is argent the consortium this is all about a magical university and they're choosing a new chancellor. So you start off as one of the magical professors that come into play with your special action and ability. And you're trying to gain influence in order to have votes in order to choose the next chancellor to have that kind of power. And it is a interesting and cutthroat worker placement game because it's all about taking out other people that are trying to take positions, trying to take power, trying to take students throughout the game. There is a lot of engine building in the game. The game is a Euro game through and through with, you know, with the exception of the take that kind of mechanic, but it looks like a beautiful manga kind of design here. I mean, the, it's just a really nicely produced game throughout. This is from level 99 games And primarily, it's about getting to certain spots on the board in order to utilize certain school locations to gain powers, to gain cards, to gain special abilities, to gain mana, to gain students. So it is a a lot of collections and gaining special powers throughout. So it's kind of like Harry Potter if it was an anime on steroids with a lot of fighting and yet at the same time a lot of European kind of engine building. But it really does give you that feel that there's a lot going on here. That is a full school. It's not just a couple students or one professor in play. It is a large university with a lot of opportunities for your students to learn, develop, gain special powers and spells throughout, and be able to put that together to you know control that university. There's a lot of writability in the game. As I said, everything is gorgeous on this. Plays at a lot of different player accounts. A lot of fun. A great job by Level 99 Games. This is one of the games that kind of gets left behind, but there's a lot of interactive interactivity throughout the game, and it, it's just gorgeous. As long as you have the table room for it, I think this is a game that you want to bring to the table because such variety here, such interest. And again, it's kind of reflective of the university system. The university system may not be magical, but it can be cutthroat, my friends. So Yeah. <laughs> Stay, 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 stay careful. That's all I'm gonna have to say. So, uh, yeah. All right, there you go. The top ten games about academia. We hope that you had a fun time with that. We are hoping that all of your schooling was as magical and as powerful as all these games out here. 
and hopefully you get them to the table during the summertime so you can remember better days where schooling wasn't so, I don't know, pedestrian. It was a little more magical, a little bit. All right, until next time, this is Chris. Hey, this is Anthony. And we'll save you all a seat at the table. See ya. Bye.